You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Legends of Runeterra. This episode is supported by listeners like you. To become a supporter of Legends Cast, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Bimpera. My name is The Lift, or Mark from outside of Pittsburgh, PA, and I'm thrilled to have you with us. But along with me is my ever-faithful and incredible, stupendous, some would say, co-host, Dead Broke Nerd. Dead Broke Nerd, how you doing tonight, man? You know, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I think I think only a few would say I'm stupendous. I, I think some maybe just a, a little too much, but um, uh, ever faithful Fair. I am because uh, you're here. I'm ready to I'm 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 here. Yeah, what, I week? ate a really I ate a really crappy chicken pot pie before this so nice. that I could be here. Nice. Yeah. Pounded mm-hmm. that thing down on the week that right. you're not here. The next time I have to do a solo show, I'm going to be sure to make mm. I will announce you as the betrayer who's not here and I won't announce the never you as the present co-host the never present betrayer dbn that's right <laughs> is not here uh yeah but we're here and we're ready to talk about some legends of runeterra tonight which is exciting and we're back to recording at night last week we had to record at like nine o'clock in the morning which wasn't great uh well it was great for me but not great for dbn who was like just just waking up but uh we had mm. static sheep on with us last week and we're heading into season two of the legends guest discord league right now which is really exciting which is a pretty exciting stuff we're going to talk a little bit about that on the show during some announcements um but dbn man what have you been playing in legends of runeterra what was your week on ladder like and did you get a chance to play much is, is maybe my more of my question because i haven't had much of an opportunity yeah um <clears throat> i was able to play a couple games uh testing a deck that i want to get on my uh youtube channel i'll probably do that tomorrow night um it is actually a variant of the list that Static Sheep whooped you with. Uh, oh, which one? <laughs> yeah, it was the uh, Twisted Fate and Diana one. Um, and I have literally just fallen in love with that combination. It's easy for me because Twisted Fate is probably my favorite overall champion of the game at this point. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, no, I mean, we can talk more about that deck when it comes to the Diana spotlight, because there's there's a lot of what's cool. There's a lot of different ways to play Diana. So, I mean, I think that you and I have probably played different Diana lists, so we can kind of talk about those differences. But yeah. the bottom line is uh, it did receive a buff with um, Cygnus something or other, Moonwalker, Stalker, Talker, something, um, <clears throat> getting a little bit of a plus one, plus one stat increase. So I think it's mm-hmm. perfect timing for me to put out my variant of the list uh, on the old U-tubs. And the honestly, U-tubs. I, I, the U-tubs. I don't think the deck's like necessarily that good. It's okay. It's pretty good. You know, it's pretty decent, but it's definitely not like a, a tier. It's not even tier two probably, but darn it if it isn't like super fun. And I think really more interestingly, it kind of plays very differently in my mind than a lot of the other decks because it feels like either like a very fast mid range or like a, a very reactive aggro almost kind of like you know you know what kind of reminds me of it kind of reminds me of like tempo assassin from tessel but not as fast yeah tempo assassin was quick 
it was quick. Yeah, but it just had so many reactive tools. And like, I feel that's how I feel with this. If anything, <clears throat> maybe more like a like a mid range monk. You know, mid range monk was technically mid range, but it just had a very like had just had a a pretty much like get some good threats down, shikuchi them around, and and hit face and stuff. Kind of like, uh, kind of like that. Sure, you it's got like a lot tricky. of and stuff. A little tricky. It's, yeah, it's just it's tricky. It's got some, you know, shackle and stuff. That that's the monk, not this deck. But sure, um, you know, so it just kind of. But it, but you've got those reactive cards. You've got like the challenger off of Diana. You know, to 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 put you're playing that aggressive style, but you're also cleaning up things that are problematic. And you know, TF is just like the flexible, most flexible champion ever. And I love him. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. So that's nice. that's really all I played. But uh, I, I had, I really just wanted to play today. I just didn't have time. But I built like three decks today and just didn't get a chance to play any of them. Yeah, well, I mean, we had some new stuff. You know, we're going to talk about it in a bit. We're going to do a patch section. And, and the, the patch came out today. That was a big deal. For me, I played uh, I played two decks. I continued to play the Lee Santeric deck. It's just been like the sweetest deck I think think since I've started playing Legends of Runeterra in terms of sort of like my play style, right? Lee Sin, Tarek, it just seems to sort of connect with me really, really well. And that's been something that I've really enjoyed playing, Lee Sin, Tarek. The other deck that I've been playing that I've actually really enjoyed as well is I built this mono uh, SI deck that's uh, it's running Callista Nocturne. So it's a Callista Nocturne fearsome uh wraith deck so wraith collar mist uh risen mist and then um also of course running mist wraith so it's going it's going with the allegiance package right with the wraith collar allegiance package mm -hmm. it's got the the way to summon every way that you can summon mist wraith it's got it's got a couple of blighted caretakers but it also has uh you know some of the the nightfall stuff so you're getting um the the owl the stygian onlooker i think that's how you pronounce it you know you got the 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 opening hand that's like really busted which is like bark beast into cursed keeper ravenous butcher um that you could you know turn one turn two and you you put a you know a three two a four three and a three three on the board you know on round two um and uh and then it's of course i think kind of like the mvp of this deck which is the, the case with a lot of decks is the stalking shadows card right the one that allows you to burst uh get something from the top four cards of your deck put it and a copy of it that's ephemeral into your hand when you can copy Doom Beast, it's super broken. Um, when you can copy Wraith Collar, it's really broken as well because you're going to get the permanent Mist Wraith and buff your Mist Wraiths, and you can do it twice. And so I've, I found that that uh, Stalking Shadows into Wraith Collar actually gives you a lot of longevity in the game. Like, although you top out at four, like I, I threw the deck list in the chat because I, I know that there's some better players than I am who are hanging out with us tonight. I'd love to see what they're capable of doing with the deck, but it's just a really aggressive SI deck um, that wants to close out the game pretty quickly. And, it, you know, it tops out Nocturne and Risen Mist are your most expensive cards in the deck. So you're topping out at four. So it really wants to win early and it wants to win with Fearsome. I actually built this deck because at the time I was seeing a lot of, which I'm not seeing as much now, but there was a lot of Trundle Acel going around. And of course, nothing that ramps and a lot of the stuff that generates Celestial cards early in the game, none of that can block fearsome because none of them have three or more attack right the the daybreak one uh does not have three or more attack um the one one of course doesn't have three or more attack and then you have uh you know a couple of different options for ramps that all have zero attack 
So I was kind of like, well, maybe I can sort of capitalize on that, build a pretty aggressive board between, you know, Mist Wraiths um, and Callista and Nocturne and be able to capitalize on the fact that people really aren't, and you know, the onlooker as well, can't really play against Fearsome in that deck. And and I, it mm -hmm. was it was good. The, of course, right now, uh, you know, the Trundle Asol is is a little bit less popular. I think even more, um, less popular now that like it's even less popular, not more or less, but it's even less popular now that, um, now that we've gotten the patch. But it was a really fun deck to play. So I messed around with it mostly off of ladder. It was like one of those weeks where I didn't have a lot of time sitting down at the PC. Most mm -hmm. nights, like I'm sitting down to play an MMO or something late at night. Um, but uh, like during the day, sometimes I would get a chance, but just work didn't allow for it this week. So uh, the only times I played was kind of like on my tablet, you know, like we, we got a new couch, which is super sick because my old couch is a hot piece of trash and uh, super <laughs> uncomfortable. And so, you know, like cuddle up on the couch, like, you know, the girls put a Disney show on or something and I'll grab my iPad and play a couple games. And this was really fun to kind of tweak around with. Uh, it's not super refined, but uh, so yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I liked it. Um, Static Sheep in the chat is saying that Nocturne feels too dependent on on Nightfall cards from uh, Targon, and you know what? To a certain extent, that's true. A lot of times, though, I didn't even really care that much that Nocturne wasn't leveling up. He was a four mana five three with Fearsome that gave something vulnerable. And mm -hmm. that was normally all that I cared about, like, because I'm I'm trying to end the game like around like, you know, turn six ish. And so uh, if you could get Nocturne down on turn five with, you know, his his nightfall ability, then uh, I can push a lot of damage with him. And so that's kind of I it rarely leveled him up, but he was he was good And the same reason for Callista. She's not a character that I'm trying to level up and resurrect stuff. There's not much worth resurrecting except for Wraith Collar which can happen if you go long enough. Um, but she's just a three mana four, three with fearsome. So I'm playing her, you know, um, yeah. they're just the two most <laughs> aggressive champs with fearsome. So that's what I was playing, man. And it was a lot of fun. I, I had a great time playing it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really want to craft nocturne, but I'm at the point now where I have most of the champs. So I'm like kind of wanting to hold out and just pick up nocturnes off of the weekly chests just yeah. for maximizing value. Although I know like you get shards. So like realistically it's the same. But it feels well, good to actually get a champ, right? Speaking of weekly chess, in case you're a complete noob, very similar to I am, and you didn't realize this is how it works. If you go into your rewards section and choose a lane or like a, a faction to level up. Um, I thought that they gave us 20 levels of Targon and that was it. And we were going to get the last five levels later, but they also gave us four levels more of Shadow Isles, four levels more of uh, Frail Yard, and four levels more of Ionia. So there's actually a Golden Chest, a Random Epic, a Champion Capsule, and a Wild Capsule in those three factions that you can pick up. I didn't know that. I finished the Targon line. And then was like, it reassigned me to a new one. And I was like, I didn't know that that was, oh, I can go further. So I, I finished one and I'm, I'm working my way through Shadow Isles right now. So in case you're like me and you didn't realize this, there are three champion capsules out there that you can get after you finish your target line. So if you craft everything, just keep in mind, you're going to have three champ capsules that aren't going to give you anything. Um, luckily, I didn't craft anything. I didn't have Lulu yet. So the three champ capsules are going to give me my three copies of Lulu. Yeah, no, that's that's good. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't have Lulu either. Lulu and Nocturne are the only ones I'm missing at this point. Well, let's you know that's um, good because we're reviewing Targon. Uh, you know, our our champion spotlights have been on Targon cards, so that's perfect. Exactly. Yeah. No, and I mean, I have all the. I and I really. So that's the thing. Like, I've been just having fun playing Targon and trying to see what I can do with it. So it hasn't felt like I haven't felt like the need to really go and jump into playing. Uh, you know, Lulu, although Lulu, see, see, Lulu, I was really hyped for early on. And I think my hype faded a bit. Is that weird? Like, uh, maybe it will resurrect if you start playing her, though. Right. I guess, like, I just, I mean, I got really hooked on Leona and then on Diana mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Lulu's kind of because, like, you know, the, the support game plan never really appealed to me that much because I just I don't like when things are dependent on a specific board state. Because then when you can't get that board state or your opponent disrupts that board state early, you lose hard, you you lose hard and it's not fun. I like I've always been a mid range style player. I love I don't mind winning by smaller margins as long as I always feel like I have a chance, you know, um, and so like that that's what you know, I gravitate towards that style of play. Um, and that's definitely <laughs> that's definitely where I, I end up. So even if I'm playing a faster you know, even if I'm playing a faster um, aggro list, you know, uh, or, or excuse me, like a faster mid-range list, uh, I still just feel like, okay, they really stymied my early game. I like I, I have a hard time playing a deck that doesn't have card draw or resource extension. Oh, like, sure. I have a really hard time doing that. I'm always like, well, this doesn't have any card draw. I'm just going to be up, you know, crap creek if I, you know, if I just right. get a, a bad hand or if they just happen to draw three mystic shots in the opening hand wall. Yeah, I was probably losing right that game. Up, just, I love, creek. I love having... I love always having a shot and that's why I just gravitate towards those mid range decks or like control decks that have a decent matchup against aggro. Sure. Um, so if I can find a control deck that has a good aggro matchup, like a decent chance against aggro, then I'm, I'm happy. And that's the kind of stuff I'll play. Yeah. 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 No, no, I get that. I get that. Well, I tell you what, man, um, why don't we, we have a couple of quick things to share uh, that are, are, are like show related. So why don't I'm just going to share, I want to say a quick thank you uh, to static sheep and to Escher. They are our two new patrons this week. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show and getting behind us. Um, I don't know how many people that makes 15 patrons. Now 15 people are over here supporting the show. Thank you to all of our patrons. Um, thank you so much for all that you're doing. We deeply appreciate you. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's some people who have, who have legitimately, um, you know, donated, a, a, you know, a, a lot of money. I mean, uh, Matthew Z, like he's our he's our top overall donator, um, one of our earliest supporters and one of our top overall donators. And uh, that's really awesome. And so, you know, we've had a lot of people, but thank you, Escher. Thank you, Static Sheep, for being supporters of Definitely. the show and supporters of what we're doing. We really appreciate that. Once again, guys, every month we do draw from our patron list. Um, the uh, We do a drawing to pick out who's going to win a legends cast hat and then we ship that legends cast hat off to them we have a couple more of those left we are exploring maybe some new patron rewards and some new stuff so if you want you can go over and support us at patreon.com slash legends cast give us a quarter an episode that's one dollar a month that'll put you in the drawing to win a hat each and every month it shows a great deal of support to us we really appreciate it and it's a huge amount of encouragement to both me and dbn just to say that people find value in what they're doing what we're doing and are willing to give value back 
back. The other thing that we're going to be doing is when we do interview people, we are planning on asking a couple of key questions um, off air that will only be released to our patrons. It's not going to be a real long segment, but maybe five to ten minutes um, of a separate uh, a, a separate uh, review or a separate set of questions with the host that we have or with the guest that we have that will be available to our patrons over at patreon.com. So make sure you do that. Um, you want to go ahead and say something about Discord League or remind people about Season 2, DBN? Definitely, and that's pretty much it. Reminder that the Legends Cast Discord League Season 2 is coming up. That is going to be... The registration's already open, and that registration will close on Friday, the 2nd of October. So you still have, as of release of this episode, two more weeks to get registered for that. Um, we have slight rules changes from last season. Basically, it's going to be a best of three uh, before the game, each player will ban a region. Uh, if your deck loses, it gets eliminated. If your deck wins, you keep the deck. Uh, and as long as you don't repeat regions, you can pretty much play whatever until one of the people has won two games. Then we'll cut to a top eight from that Swiss. Um, and uh, we'll switch the format up a little bit to a best of five. And you'll actually you know, lock in four decks and uh, we'll facilitate you guys trading bands on a deck. A little bit of a more formal experience for the top eight. Uh, but for the uh, but for the regular, you know, Swiss play five or six weeks, depending on how many people sign up. And you'll basically just have one week to complete the match. You'll you know, you'll get the pairings on Sunday and you'll have until the end of day Saturday to find a time to play uh, that match with your opponents. And the really awesome thing, which is going to kind of be, you know, spoiling one of our and, you know, uh, kind of breakdown of the news uh, is that with cross shard coming in, um, we will be able to implement both EU and NA uh, combined. So I believe we had a uh, an NA uh, champ and an EU champ, and uh, we both of those have gotten uh, at least some prizes. But we we definitely had way more NA than EU last time. We'll be able to fuse it together, and we'll really allow uh, our two champions hopefully uh, to get some cracks at each other throughout the uh, throughout the Swiss play at least if not a bracket. Um, so I, I, yeah, I know I'm just, I'm really excited for this season. And I think that this change of format, although subtle is going to be one that's going to add a little bit more of competitive, um, like edge when it comes to prepping a lineup because your ability to ban a region, you could theoretically ban something that your lineup is bad against. I know my lineup is really bad into Ionia. Okay, I'm going to ban Ionia. Or you could say, what are the most decks? What what uh, faction has the most viable decks? Let me ban that faction. There's just a lot of ways to approach it. And I'm genuinely excited to hear how people decide that they want to go into their their matchups and and, and how they want to choose what their bans are and, and what decks they, they build so that they're ready for whatever ban their opponent throws out there so yeah no I'm, I'm just i'm just super stoked uh make sure you guys get registered by the second the second of october yeah okay so make sure that you check in and make sure you register i think that's important get into that discord league dbn am i allowed to register if i promise to only bring mono no. decks nope what if i promise only Ooh. mono decks if you but see i feel like i actually okay here's the thing i think allegiance decks are actually pretty good what if i vow like, to take mono decks but i will not use demacia Okay, you're not allowed to use Demacia or Bilgewater. Because I think Bilgewater Allegiance is pretty darn good too. 
Okay. You have to use Noxus Allegiance. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you have come to, on. You have to, have yeah, you can't, to? you can't use, you can't use SI, you can't use Demacia, and you can't use Bilgewater. Why can't I use SI, man? Come on. That's because SI Allegiance is also good. Have you seen Mistcaller? Oh my God, you were just about. talking about Mistcaller. <laughs> that's right. You just, you spoiled it for oh, okay, yourself. Okay, 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 okay. Here it is. I have to play Mono <laughs> Regions, but I cannot play Allegiance. Uh, okay, I I must. You play, can't play Allegiance. I can't play Allegiance, but I must play no, Mono. No, Region. here's what we get. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, Patreon supporters, uh, we are gonna have a uh, a vote to see what deck building restrictions we impose on uh, on Mark. That's what we'll do. We're gonna okay. get that ironed out. Okay, so, so we're, you're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna crowdsource for these deck building restrictions because I swear if you were in the finals again, I'm gonna punch <laughs> something. Okay, here's what we'll do. We'll start a Patreon channel that only patrons and me and DBN and the admins have access to. And then we will throw up uh maybe like a survey in there. Uh we'll we'll work with Jeff and get that figured out before the beginning of October and we'll figure out what special rules I have to play with um hopefully that aren't completely uh out I'll just oh, just oh no, they're gonna be a there. It'll be a doozy. <laughs> okay, the ridiculous just mono. I can only play mono, no allegiance, no champions. That's um, right. Whoa, it's gonna be crazier than that. You you better watch out. Okay, okay, we're gonna we're gonna come up. We're gonna come up. I don't gibbles. I don't even want to see that. The lift must have nine nine poros in every deck. In every deck, <laughs> it would even be possible. Um, oh, I love it. Just ban frail yord against me. Okay. Um, so the other thing that I have to say is this. Listen, guys, I actually have an apology to make over the last, I don't know, nine months of the show. I've been saying, join our Discord, join our Discord, join our Discord. It's an awesome place to be. And I have typically kind of seen myself as the guardian of that Discord. That's been my primary role. Um, one of my primary roles, actually, the guardian of the community is more important to me than the show itself. And I have done a really piss poor job at that, um, especially over the last couple of months. A lot has been going on in my personal life in, in which that I have haven't been able to be um, at Discord in order to make sure I was more focused and with my family. I've kept Discord off of my phone, um, and that that isn't excuses. It's just reality. And I have not done a very good job of keeping toxicity to a minimum and making sure and that I was encouraging and providing a fun or a safe environment for people to come and engage with one another. And so I want to formally apologize. I know there's been people who've joined our Discord who maybe they joined our Discord and they're like. Ugh, like this place is is not what they promised me it would be. Um, listen, guys, we have a venting channel. I know there's folks who come to Discord as a way to vent about the deck that they're coming up against or the bad streak of luck that they've had or the RNG that screwed them in a game. I get that. We've created a venting channel and we have it for that reason. If you have something negative to say, I'm not against it. Listen, I'm a real person and I understand that at times, although I'm a I'm naturally a very positive individual, I'm also a very real person. I understand that there is negative negativity and there's been days that I wanted to toss my iPad across the room and shattered against the wall whenever I was playing Legends of Runeterra I completely get that we want to have a space for that but we also want to create a place where people feel comfortable coming in and engaging with a game that they love especially if they're a new player who's genuinely looking for a community and genuinely looking for a way to get better and find people who play this game I do play games oftentimes all by myself and I know how awesome it would be sometimes to just have a community 
around me that could relate to me on the game beings. I live in a world that oftentimes doesn't have people who can relate to it. So I am making a vow to be better at guarding the community and coming down a little bit firmer. We've already made a post in the venting channel that asked people to move there. I'll be vigilant in deleting those messages and, and talking to people um, privately who I feel like uh, have, have gone beyond where we're comfortable with. Um, please keep things real but positive inside the chat remain optimistic and if you can't go to venting and i promise to do a better job at being a guardian of that space to continue to cultivate the community so once again i'm really sorry i failed the community and didn't do a really good job of that and i'm going to be pushing to do a much better job of that in the future um so i i told i told the admins and dbn i was going to be making an apology this episode i think it's important as a human being to admit when you're wrong um and to live in humility and so it's important for me to be able to just say to our community i've made a promise to you that i wasn't fulfilling and i'm going to do my best to fulfill it better in the future um thank you for having grace and kindness with me and forgiveness for me as well so there's my apology um do you want to move over to it's going to seem callous it's really hard to do a, a mid a mid at this should have been like the closing thought <laughs> like mid thought oh you well, want to you know what you could do is you could like chop it out and then just have it make no sense by putting it at the end of the episode. <laughs> no, you could not. do that. No. That's on the table. Nah, man, we're not doing that. Okay, let's go ahead and jump over. Have I diffused the tension yes, by making the, that joke? Uh, you got me to laugh out loud. So let's All go. All right, there it is. We did it. <laughs> let's go jump over and talk about patch notes. I know what lurks in the shadows. Okay, guys, the patch came out today with some new balance changes which is absolutely sick we got two champions that have been adjusted we got lots of guards that have been adjusted as well and we're going to go through each and every one of them this episode and talk about what that might mean for the game neither of us will really know because we haven't played with them yet but we're going to make wild speculations that hopefully mm -hmm, are wrong mm -hmm. within a couple of weeks dbn you're going to kick us off though because i've been doing way too much talking so far Tell us about the champ change. The first one will take yeah, us. Almost, you're going to take us through both the champs at first, but let's oh start man, with the first one. I almost one. got through this episode without having to do much work. Dang now, it. Now I'm going to make you sweat, bro. All right. So <clears throat> Pat's notes for 1.10. I think that was the. Is it? It's 1.10. I think so. Yeah. It, I think I remember making that mental note. If it's not 1.10. I just made myself look like a goober, but whatever. So uh, the first one is Ezreal. Um, so Ezreal's got a very simple change uh, now to level up Ezreal. You have to have targeted 10 enemies or targeted enemies 10 plus times as opposed to eight. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the change. I mean, do you, go ahead. What do you think? I mean, it makes him so it makes him come online a little bit later. Yeah. Right. Like a turn I, I, or two. Yeah, I think for dedicated Ezreal combo decks, it's really not going to change anything because either you've controlled the game uh, and got to the point where like Ezreal was your finisher. Mm -hmm. And so if you've built around having Ezreal as a finisher and like the you know combo list, 8 10, yeah, it's like an extra stepping stone. You'll lose a couple games here and there because of it. But I mean, the deck was already like dedicated Ezreal combo decks were already kind of niche anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually they, they won before Ezreal came down. It's just, they needed Ezreal to actually translate that into the opponent now has zero HP. Um, and so I, but I think what this really hits more than anything else is like Ezreal being slotted into decks, um, like the Ezreal twisted fate list, like yeah. Ezreal mm -hmm. being slotted in as like a 
backup or backup or you know adjacent win conditions like Swain Ezreal, Ezreal Twisted Fate. Like these are decks that you know wanted Ezreal to be an extra out for them or to push that last little bit of damage. Um, you know, you didn't need to combo out, you know, with a bunch of uh, uh one cost spells. What you needed was Ezreal to push the last six damage. Well, that that's pretty doable. And so what this change does is it hits those decks, not the dedicated combo lists. Um, I mean, it, it does hit the dedicated combo list, but not really in as impactful of a way. Um, so I, I don't know if it's enough to really push uh, like TF Ezreal out, but I do think like that and like Sway and Ezreal are going to see a, a slight, you know, drop. Um, whether it, you know, the strength of the rest of the deck is enough for Ezreal to say, well, you know, because sometimes Ezreal just Nexus striking for a Mystic Shot is really good. Like, that's what people forget. People forget that Ezreal on three, when they don't have an elusive to mm -hmm. block, is very good. It's actually pretty, is pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, getting fleeting Mystic Shots is great. So, I, so I, like, maybe, the, maybe that's good enough for those decks, you know, but sometimes I, I know that, like, you want to get that, extra, use Ezreal leveled up, get that extra damage, especially when you've got, you know, all those other cards that, you know, especially, like, uh, all the uh, builds rider cards that can target multiple things and, and whatnot. So, um, that's what I was going to yeah. say. That's what I was going to say. I, 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 I specifically think this is a reaction to make it rain, right? Because make it yeah, rain make it targets rain. three things for mm -hmm. two mana. And I think that, I think that Ezreal when combined with things like karma, um, really doesn't matter that it's, that it's eight or 10, probably not. Um, when it, but it, when it's combined with things like twisted fate and, uh, or, uh, even gangplank and you're getting make it rain in there and that's leveling them up really quickly. I think sometimes it was almost like these mid range lists that their goal really wasn't to level up, uh, Ezreal, but sometimes it happened and that's just like, you just were able to push enough, um, yeah. to, to, to end the game um mm -hmm. and so i i i don't know like i feel i may and maybe i'm completely wrong in this and maybe i have not played enough ezreal combo decks but to me this is just pushing ezreal more in the direction of combo and out of everything else for mm -hmm. the level up purposes of him right if you're playing him just to have a one three with elusive that gives you fleeting mystic shots like he's still going to do that and there will be some decks that that's really what they wanted him for but now on the fluke aren't also going to level him up and win that way um you know they're going to get him as a one three yeah. elusive that gives fleeting mystic shots and are never going to somehow have leveled him up through a couple of make it rains and now not only is he doing that but he's also burning the enemy nexus when you didn't expect him to be doing that so i right. think that that is that's the thought but you know um i i didn't have a problem with ezreal to be honest with you <laughs> i didn't like i wasn't like oh the, the situation poisonous. is no no I, I didn't have an issue with ezreal balance wise I, I, oh, okay so i do think the tf ezreal deck was pretty darn good and i think this is a big hit to the tf ezreal deck right um, yeah, I but so I also too. like didn't think that the reason why that thing was busted was, you know, not even busted, just good. I didn't feel like it was because of Ezreal. I just felt like Ezreal was a good component of that. Right. Um, and so like that deck will probably, you know, move down the tier list. And I, I think that like this definitely hurts that. Um, but like there's enough, you know, Bilgewater stuff out there or built around other cards. And we'll get to some of that stuff um, that I think Bilgewater... If it had just been Ezreal, I think Bilgewater would have just found a different version. There's a lot of competitive Bilgewater stuff uh, out there. Uh, so, uh, okay, Ezreal, I think the thing is, the thing is, people don't like Ezreal. 
Like yeah. that's what that's what we have to acknowledge that like this is probably more than anything else. Although I think, you know, maybe we can argue that this was because of TF Ezreal, which saw a lot of competitive play for a while. And I I haven't seen any tournaments recently, so I can't say that that was that it's still you know, seeing competitive play. But but that was a pretty reliable, good uh, competitive deck that hadn't really seen any nerfs. Um, so maybe that's what this is. But I think the bigger thing is it's not a fun card to lose to. And I think if we're reducing the amount of times that you lose to this, um, because you just can't, you don't really get to interact. And because of the fact, the way that like the speed spell speeds work, like most of the time, if they have a bunch of burst spells, they can just kind of pop them off and, and you're getting that mystic shots thrown at your face before sure. you can do anything as opposed to like fast spells resolving. And so like you can see them put a bunch of fast spells on the chain and you could respond by, you know, get excited in Ezreal or whatever and and peeling them off before those spells like drop down the chain. Mm. So I, I think that's what it is. I think it's a combination of those two things. And, and really my gut tells me it's because losing to Ezreal sucks and it's not fun, even if the card is balanced. So here's here's my real prediction, and then we can we can move on to the next one. Is that this isn't a this is not a nerf for now. This is a nerf for later, right? They saw the flash in the pan, and this this is completely speculation, but they saw the flash in the pan. Ezreal uh, Targon deck that really wasn't great. It didn't have a good win rate, but they saw it, you know making use of Hush. Uh, is that it? Yeah, Hush. Um, and and you know kind of seeing what it could do there, and I think they're actually prepping for what Targon is going to release. In the in the October um, or December set of cards, and this is this is they're all like they're looking at this and like okay we already know that Ezreal is going to be a problem. This is one of the patches that we can adjust this before Ezreal is a huge problem whenever we release more target cards. Because I have to mm -hmm. believe that Target is going to be getting some more ways to interact with the board than what it has currently in you know the next two smaller sets of cards that we're going to be receiving. I I honestly believe this is what that Ezreal changes for is for. Yeah. more more available space uh more more you know more acreage there in the target expansions uh expansion stuff that's coming but i i don't know that for sure we're only going to know that once we see what comes out in october right i mean i will say i don't think target is ever going to have um like a lot of removal um no i don't think, I think so it's, either. it's clearly part of their like design identity is to like have a lot of healing and then have things that like silence um and personally Personally, I really like Hush. I think Hush is a good card. Uh, obviously, it's strong, but I also think it's good for the game because I think Silence is a good effect to have running around. Um, it's good that you have to think obviously, about it. <clears throat> right. And so, like, and of course, because, like, Hush is not removal, right? Yeah, it silences them, but it only goes for the round, I believe. And then, even then... Um, you still have to do something with it. Now, a lot of times people play it as they're getting swung at or as they're getting blocked. And so that's kind of like a board trick. It's kind of an expensive one though. So like, I, I it's very, it's just the flexibility of it is strong. I, I, I really like the card because it's strong, but I also like that it's interacting with things a different way than like deal three damage. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't have an issue with Hush. It's just people are going to have to get used to their stuff not doing what they want it to do. Which, by the way, your stuff wasn't going to get to do what they wanted to do if it got Mystic Shotted. Or killed or something. So, yeah. or, or so any other variant of kill or bounce or anything. So, yeah. yeah. It's because, you know what it is? It's because you have to look at it afterwards. Yeah. That's what <laughs> it is. That's the psychological it. thing, right? To watch it when, get when killed. Someone, right. So when someone vengeances it, 
you're like, oh, okay, it's dead. Gone. Or when someone get excited, it, oh, okay, it's dead. I don't have, yeah, it sucks that it's gone. I really wanted that card. I really needed that card for my game plan, but it's dead now. I don't have to look at it anymore. I just have to, I accept that it's gone because I'm not looking at it. But after it gets silenced, you have to watch it die because it got silenced. It's just that extra step of like gut punch, you know, sure. <laughs> that makes it feel, makes it feel worse than, than it, it really is because it could have also just gotten killed from removal. Sure, sure. Uh, take us to this next one. What's the next champ that got changed? Lee Sen. Lots this is a big one. Here. Yeah. Um, and God, we're going to... Oh, man. I, I really want to hear what you think about this. So, okay. Uh, Lee Sen got his cost reduced from six to four. Which is huge. Just went ahead and, just went ahead and jumped five. You know, just, just went well, down, straight down to four. We're not going to worry about five. Yeah, it would. Yeah, and and then the health went down from six to four as well to compensate. So previously it was a six mana three six. Now it is a four mana three four. Now the level up requirement did go up slightly. Uh, now it says you've cast seven plus. Or it originally said you've cast seven plus spells. Now you have to cast eight plus spells to level them up. And then of course, as is standard, the uh, level up has a plus one plus one from the base. So the level up is a four five. Now the other change is Leeson's attached spell. So when you play, have a Leeson on the board, and you draw a duplicate Leeson mm-hmm. um, or duplicate champion. Uh, you normally get a card transformed because you can't have multiple of the same champion unless you cheat it. Um, Previously, it was Dragon's Rage. And in fact, we talked about that last episode. I don't know if you remember that. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, We talked about how having the duplicate Dragon's Rage was actually really interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, that's gone. Gone. For better or for worse, it has been replaced by Lee Sin's Sonic Wave, Mm -hmm. another card we talked about last week. Uh... Sonic Wave is the two-mana burst spell that gives an ally challenger and then creates a fleeting resonating strike in hand. That is a burst spell uh, that gives plus two attack. Yep. So, um, you know, just reactions. Go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my initial reaction was like, I love to see Lee Sin get get some attention. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, he's going to come down earlier. Like, that almost always makes things better. But then I was like, well, the first deck that I've seen to be, like, relatively viable Lee Sin was this sort of, like, combo Taric Lee Sin deck. And it, it's not even great. Like, it's not great. It's, it's, not, it's not, like, meme level. But it's not great. And I think refined in a tournament setting, it's probably a, a not a bad deck, right? But on the ladder, it's just not great. Like if you're if you're a ladder warrior, it's it's not gonna climb you the ladder. Um, so uh, so when I looked at this and I was like, okay, so you made it harder to level him up, and then you made him come down earlier. I oftentimes am not playing Lee Sin until after turn five anyway. His six health into seven health is oftentimes really quite uh it oftentimes becomes important because sometimes I can play him the turn ahead, expect him not to die, and then and then he, you know, and then I can get him leveled up and run him the next turn. I've had some really goods with good games with Lee Sin at six. For me, this is them sort of communicating like that, and then getting rid of the Dragon's Rage combo with him and putting on Sonic Wave tells me they're really pushing Lee Sin more towards like the the uh, uh, trick striker, right? Like the mid-rangey-ish sort of like control the board through combat tricks type of champion, right? Now they really want him to be 
We want you to play him on four. You're not trying to combo off with him by giving him overwhelm and buffing him up and dealing 20 damage in a turn. Now he's a little bit more of a board-centric champion where you're wanting to, to combat trick a lot with him in order to uh, conquer the board and take control of it. I don't think Lee Sin is still probably going to be particularly good at that. Um, I'll be honest with you. I uh, initially was really excited about the attention. Um, I'm still optimistic, I think. Maybe apprehensive is a better word for it, though. I'm, I'm, I'm now, like, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I think that there's a good chance that this is just going to make him worse instead of better. But I'm hoping he finds a place. I don't know if he finds a place with like a card like Diana now more than with, you know, a card like Tarek. Maybe he finds a place with something that's a little bit more aggressive than before, um, than combo-y, but I don't know. I don't, it, uh, um, I, I, I feel, I feel sort of, uh, I, I feel like I don't know what to say about him. I really liked him at six whenever you could play him at the end of your opponent's turn. And then you had enough mana on your following turn. If you save some spell mana and stuff, you know, seven, you had like 10 mana that you could give him a barrier that you could give him some bonus attack that you could give him a spell shield, right? Mm -hmm. He was in a place where you could protect him. And oftentimes on turn four, when you're curving out, you you might not be able to. I, I just really feel like it's a Lee Sin almost now is in a completely different place. And I finally had a deck that I fell in love with him in. So I'm, I'm maybe a little disappointed, but I have to play with him some. That was a long monologue about what I think. What, what was your initial reaction to the Lee Sin change? Um, I don't like the defense going down, but beside that, I think everything is, is really great. I think this is really, really good for Lee Sin. So the defense going down sucks. But the good news is, if you cast two burst spells, he'll get a barrier. So, yeah, that's true. That'll help protect him. Um, what's crazy about this uh, is if you want to play Lee Sen as a combo. So, so, like right now, or previously, Lee Sen was strictly a uh, win condition style card. It was, it was, it ended games. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. whether yeah. that was through combo or whether that was just at the top of a mid rangey curve tied with other things that wanted to play spells. Lee Sen was a game ender. He was a win condition kind of like Yasuo, right? But you couldn't play him until later in the game. Whereas Yasuo, you could get down on four with quick attack and, and utilize the body early. Now, granted that would sometimes put him in a vulnerable place. Um, but the, the situation is now Lee Sen A can come down earlier if you need him. But keep in mind, if you're playing Lee Sen for the combo, right? You're mm -hmm. going to be playing stuff that protects him. When yeah. he comes down, if you bring him down on six, now you have two more mana to play with. I sure. mean, the, the reality is his attack was his attack skill at three was never what won the game, right? It was the dragons raging. Right. And sure. the, the, the incredible, you know, board swings that you could do with that, not to mention face damage. So from a combo perspective, yeah, he's a slightly harder to level up. But keep in mind on six or seven, Lee Sin, usually if you're built around him, Lee Sin often came down already leveled. And especially in this Taric build that we've been toying around with. I mean, how many times has he not been leveled when you drop him on six, seven or eight? You know, <laughs> So, yeah, he. I mean, he often is, or he's like close enough to leveling that I can throw mm -hmm. two shards out and level him up, right? Exactly, exactly. And so here's where I'm at with this. Um, I think this actually opens Lee Sin up to be played outside of the win condition combo centric sure. 
uh, play. And that's really, really exciting. The first thing I thought of was running Lee Sin Lux. And imagine being able to have Lee Sin uh, challenging and creating barriers. You can cast spells in the form of uh, any number of, obviously you have the Ionia things that create duplicates of things, sure. but you've also got the, um, the Demacia cards like that will create four Demacias. You've got cards that will create, um, uh, well, well, theoretically mage seekers, but I'm not advocating for mage seekers, although you could go that route. I'm always advocating uh, for mage seekers. Always. Right. When then you can create detains, but the bottom line with Lee Sin here is you can create barrier on Lee Sin, uh, and then like single combat. Hmm. Right. You can, uh, use Lee Sin alongside, um, what's the one that uh, allows two creatures to hit one creature? And because you're casting spells, you'll get the barrier and then you'll strike and not hurt Lee Sin. Not to mention your snagging challenger. You can play things like Reposket, another barrier. Or by the time you get, if you use Lee Sin as a board controller in a deck that already has like Radiant Guardian as an option on five, your curve could look like Lee Sin, Radiant Guardian, Lux. And Lux uh, wants you to cast spells as well, but that ends up being the win condition. So now you actually have what exists in Lee Sin as a board controller that they feel they have to deal with. But can, because he levels up in hand anyways, as opposed to like Lux has to see it, sure. Lee Sin can actually come down later in the game when you draw your second or third copies and be a win con. Sure. After Lux has to get dealt with. So I, that's what, where my head went immediately is like Lux Lee Sin, I think is like, I think that's a legitimate deck in the making the hard thing is going to be finding the spells that you want uh to play in the early and mid game because like you definitely need some cheap spells uh to keep Lee Sin around but then of course you're going to have to have some more expensive spells to be triggering Lux. later on trying to get Lux leveled so that's where i think like some of the things like sonic wave where it creates one spell and it creates another spell and you spend the man on both the spells but they count as multiple spells when it comes to release in finding that blend of spells is going to be the hard part about that deck when it comes to the creatures available to you i mean you you are in a really nice position yeah i don't know what i'm going to combine him with i i've had a couple of ideas you know i've thought about keeping him in target going a little bit more aggressive i have thought uh i've thought about going vi um and going like p and z um and like running removal and things mm -hmm. um as well because you have a lot of you know relatively cheap spells in p and z for removal um i so i i think that there are the, so he's definitely opened up to some more options i just really sort of fell in love with the deck that i've been playing him in and this doesn't it, I, I think he's worse in that specific instance i could be wrong but I think from my experience oh. of playing that deck that he's worse in that specific deck now, which, you know, um, but I do love the change to Sonic Wave. I think that that's a really good change. I think that's a really good cool change. I think in the context of the deck that, that you and I have been playing, like the Tarek Lee Sin deck, mm -hmm. the worst change was the Sonic Wave change because the Dragon's Rage gave you kind of that interaction that because you were teaming with Targon, which doesn't have a lot of interaction, um, you occasionally really liked having that extra Dragon's sure. Rage. At least I did. I mean, I won multiple games off the back of the duplicated Dragon's Rage, which you see pretty often because you're running like Pale Cascades and Guiding Touch. That's the one that draws and heals. Um, so uh, yeah, because you're seeing so many cards, you're seeing those duplicates more often. And I don't know if the Tarek Lee Sin deck really can get as much out of Sonic Wave, although maybe like Tarek with Sonic Wave is nice, but I don't know if it gets as much out of a duplicated Sonic Wave as it does out of a duplicated like Dragon's Rage. But when it comes to the rest of it, I actually think that this is, I think it kind of breaks even 
in terms of the strength with the uh, with the Tarek Lee Sin I mean, list. Keep it the same attack. Right, you keep the same attack, but hopefully your running cards that protect it, like uh, the the Bastion Sunblade and, one, yeah, mm-hmm. Sunblade thing that I can't ever remember the name of Bastion. I in my build, I run two Sunblessed Vigors uh, for that plus two lasting yep. defense for two. That's at burst speed as well, so that will help you trigger the barriers. Um, so I, I think the Leeson will be survivable enough. The only thing you're going to be just ever so slightly slower to get him leveled but as we already established that's pretty easy in that deck even compared to other Lee Sin decks so I think it's going to about break even and in some ways I think it'll be stronger and in other ways you know it might be a little slower one thing it will do though actually is it might improve the aggro matchup because before Lee Sin could sit bricking your hand for a long time uh, against an for a long time against an aggro matchup and now you can actually drop him on four and if you have even one you know spell mana banked you can snag challenger and go pull that thing that's giving you a hard time pull that creature that sure. elusive creature or whatever and start interacting with their board sure um so i think if anything that really helps the aggro matchup and there's going to be sometimes when you have the Lee Sin on board and you're in the aggro matchup and you get a second one and you sonic wave and and mm-hmm. you're able to give challenger and plus two attack to a dragonling and give him oh, yeah. challenger and barrier and you're able to mm-hmm. pull two things and gain four health um yeah. and there's going to be some times where that can happen so interesting interesting I, I i need to play with him i need to play with him yeah I'm, i mean that's kind of I'm what cautious. it's coming down to I'm is cautious. like we can we can theorize about lisa and all we want but like we really got to see how that yeah. a like lines up in practice, but also how it lines up against the environment. And of course, we don't know what the environment's going to be because of some of these changes that we're about to look at. Absolutely. So let me just talk a little bit about. I'll jump into the next card. War Chefs has been changed. It was a two mana two three that had support. Give my supported ally plus one plus one this round. It is now a two mana one three instead of two mana two three. This was a change. My gut reaction was I don't understand why. I didn't find that War Chefs was that insane. Um, and I, this hurts. I mean, this hurts some decks. Um, this hurts scouts pretty badly. Uh, this, this, I mean, it's, it's really, it's quite bad for scouts. Um, it is quite bad for, uh, also kind of like the support deck that ran Lulu Shen, um, type of deck as well. Um, and I don't think any of those decks were maybe, really top tier right now scouts may have been but i'm thinking that they really weren't from my from my experience playing it anyway um so i i don't know that i really understand this change i kind of thought that support was not in a bad spot it was like tier two tier three not super strong not real oppressive and i think that this card was pretty central to a lot of those support decks functionality maybe there's some statistics that riot nodes that we don't which is very real and very a very real possibility but my my initial reaction was eh, i don't understand why um but uh but i think that this card's a lot worse as a as a one three a lot worse as a one three um so i i have i have some thoughts on this the first thought is um i actually felt pretty good when the patch notes came out because i was literally texting my dad dad broke nerd i was texting dad broke nerd uh about um you know we knew a patch was coming and he asked me what he thought what i thought might be might be getting nerfed and the list of i said is maybe i said maybe ezreal uh just because everyone knows everyone hates ezreal people don't like him <laughs> people don't like him right i said maybe ezreal uh and then I said, I think we'll see a nerf to either Rex or Grifter. I said either Rangers Resolve or Warchefs. Um, 
And then I said, and maybe something from they who endure, uh, from like indoor, uh, like aggro. And I, you're pretty accurate. All but pretty one. accurate. And the war chefs thing is interesting. Um, so the way I came up with war chefs is I looked at the MF list, right? The MF, mm-hmm. uh, Quinn, mostly Demacia list. Yeah. Mostly. And I looked, at the, I looked at the cards. I said, what card uh is you know all these cards are it's a very tuned list the list it has minor changes depending on preference you know um and so i looked at all the list of the cards and i said well what in here could be nerfed because i do think something needed to be nerfed and i think that deck is just you know rampant and extremely strong and extremely tuned to the point where it's it's kind of impeding i think creativeness you know sure I because mean, it's of its efficiency it's not creative so well it's not creative but also like it kind of stomps a lot of creative decks because of its like single-minded but extremely effective game plan um especially with fleet uh fleet feather tracker on one can just really you know oh, yeah fleet tear you apart um but i looked at the list and i said okay what are the cards that could get nerfed here that actually have an impact a and won't wouldn't be replaced by something else or b uh, wouldn't completely gut the card so it's unplayable. And the two cards I came up with was Ranger's Resolve, which I felt could go to a two cost and still be good and viable. Mm-hmm. And I think Ranger's Resolve is one of the one of the least fun cards in that entire deck to play against. I said Ranger's Resolve, and I said War Chefs. And the reason why War Chefs is because it is absolutely devastating on two in this specific list. In this list, which has multiple extremely good one drops between Cythria, Fleet Feather, and the occasional build that runs Jagged Butcher, although it's less popular now. Mine runs um, Jagged Butcher. Between the three, and although admittedly Jagged Butcher is not as good on one, it's still a one mana 2 2. Sure. With upside. Cythria is a one mana 2 2 without upside, you know? <laughs> um, so between the three of those, um, you have an, an ability to basically swing at the face for five on turn two. Uh, you know, or be able to buff the Fleet Feather Tracker, which can then challenge something with three attack and clear basically any two drop in the game. Um, so, it, oh, you wanted to get a Starlet Seer going to eventually, you know, drop stronger threats to deal with your opponent's, you know, pretty powerful board state. Nope, it's gone now. Like, it, it, you know, almost any two drop or one drop in the game got eaten by Fleet Feather Tracker if a War Chef's followed it. And so my, but my thought on the nerf would be to take its health down one, to take it to a 2-2. Two, two Instead two. of a 1-3. Exactly. Because at 2-3, you're looking at, especially Fleet Feather Tracker into War Chef's is the strongest play in that, in that deck. Because you basically say, if you play your creature, it dies, and the War Chef lives to continue pumping things throughout the rest of the game. Right, because if you put down a single blocker, Fleet Feather Tracker grabs it. It might die in the process, but that's perfectly fine. But if you decide you don't want to play something because you know that that's going to happen, you know that the Fleet Feather Tracker is going to grab your car, you know, grab your blocker anyways, and you know you need to get rid of the War Chefs, which you do. Well, in that case, you're taking five to the face on turn two. Sure. Or in yeah, five. So the point is, I looked at those cards and I said, I think if War Chefs was easier to kill with like a Mystic Shot. Um, you know, or something along those lines. Like, I think that would tune it. I don't know if I, I think the one three, believe it or not, I think the one three might actually be a little bit better because that means Warship's a little hard to kill. And the plus one, plus one that you're popping over to somebody, 
is still really, really good. If they're if they end up blocking the warships, they're not blocking the more important things that warships is warship is buffing. So I, I don't know if I want to signal, you know, it's the end of the world and, you know, you've ruined warships because I don't actually believe that. I think I would still at least test it. Um, sure. I think there's an argument for maybe they should have nerfed Genevieve. The issue is people have been subbing, putting Genevieve in because of the scout. Um, but was the deck really that much worse with Cythria? You know, so Genevieve if you nerf Genevieve, really Cythria, Cythria will still, and some decks play both. So like yep, my list plays both. <laughs> and so if you if you nerf Genevieve, which a lot of people are saying, oh my gosh, why wouldn't you nerf Genevieve? Genevieve is like the icing on the cake. Genevieve is the thing that maybe puts it out of reach. You know, but people are just gonna slap Cythria back in the list. Well, keep in mind that um, Genevieve is significantly less powerful if you cannot build and maintain a board. Like this mm -hmm. this deck wants to start on turn one building a board and continue maintaining and building that board until turn six, where you drop Cythria or Genevieve and then capitalize on that plus one, plus one on all of your creatures. That's right. what it wants to do. And War Chefs definitely helps them to solidify an early game board that's really difficult to come back from so that by the time you do get turn to turn six, that Cythria, that Genevieve hits the board and really solidifies the game for you. Um, I, I do mean, think that Genevieve is really strong, but she's a lot worse on one or two creatures than she is on six or, or five creatures rather right and so i mean if you think about like i mean exactly what you're saying like the the longevity of the board in this deck is the strength of it so that's what you kind of needed to bring down i mean what 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 are they gonna if they nerf like think about it if they nerf like single combat they ruin demacia you know if they nerf uh grizzled ranger that card will never get played again because it's already gotten nerfed once if they nerf bannerman i mean what you you can't i feel like they can't nerf bannerman because like that's an identity what card. about fleet feather fleet feather tracker well that see that's a thing if you do anything to fleet feather tracker literally anything it never sees play again and so like i think there's a good conscious thing when it comes to um the dev team they don't want to nerf a card into unplayability right mm -hmm. and so i looked at the cards that i felt a uh you know, could you know could have could be nerfed without making it unplayable, uh, and B would actually have the the nerf would have an impact, so where it wouldn't get instantly replaced by something else, and that's where I landed on those two: Rangers Resolve and um, War Chefs. I think I would have gone with Rangers Resolve, but the thing yeah, with I War like Chefs the Rangers is, Resolve. I, I still more. think it's, I still think it's viable. However, it, in you know, I saw on Twitter, and I guess because Twitter is a public forum, I, I'm allowed to quote it. Um, although hopefully she won't get, she won't get mad at me. But Silverfuse tweeted about warships, and I thought it was a, I thought it was a good point, even though I don't agree. Um, so Silverfuse has a dissenting opinion to my own, much closer to you. Uh, she said warships was such a fair card, a strong but a fair staple, one of the few cards in Demacia that added thought to the deck. It enabled other archetypes too. Time to cut Quinn and play Lucian. Hmm. The War Chef nerf is a huge miss. Genevieve dodged the bullet. Hmm. Um, so just because I'm saying that doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. There is, you know, a more experienced player saying the opposite. So take it as you will. Sure. Let's move on to the next one. Flash of Brilliance was a three mana card that burst and uh, it would give you a, a originally it was a random spell and then also refill your spell mana then it became a three cost give you a six plus cost spell and refill your spell mana then it became a four cost 
uh, burst cost, burst spell that gave you a six plus cost and refilled your spell mana. Now it's back to a three cost again. So it is a three mana um, burst spell. Create a six plus cost spell in uh, in your hand from your region and refill your spell mana. It became unnerfed. It's not really a buff. It's more of an unnerf. Um, I think this is like a right. Flash of Brilliance was the biggest problem inside of the Heimerdinger decks. The Heimerdinger decks are non-existent. They have gutted Heimerdinger and tossed his tiny bearded corpse um, <laughs> in the gutter and to never be seen again. So Flash of Brilliance can once more emerge. I'm fine with seeing this. I always thought Flash of Brilliance was a pretty cool card. And now it encourages me to play PNZ with Lux a little bit more um, because this card does work better with Lux than probably just about anything else. I don't think that returning this to three does anything for Heimerdinger to make him any better. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in I'm in for that change. I like the Flash of Billions change. I'm moving it back to three. I don't really have a lot of thoughts on it, but I like it. So, so interestingly, hold on. I'm just D like... DBN, are you taking a pause right now to drink tea? Uh, yes, I have to hydrate, okay? I was working out. Oh. I, I am a fit boy, and fit boys need hydration. Hydration, okay. Um, so, uh, also, like, I had to get up just now for context uh, and, like, literally sprint over to my thermostat because it was getting unbearably hot in here. Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, so, tell yeah, us no, your – what is your thought on Flash of Brilliance? Well, my thought on Flash of Brilliance is twofold. One, I don't know if I ever, like, bragged about this, but remember when we were – like, Heimendinger was really strong. We were like, oh, is it going to get nerfed? What would we need to do? And I literally said, move the elusive off of three and then yep. um, put, like, Fearsome there instead. And then they did that. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so just, you know, I don't know if I ever, like, you know, patted myself on the back for that. But, but so you're I'll doing that right now. now. Yeah. Uh -huh. Right. Um, but here's the thing. I actually don't – is Heimerdinger ever going to come back to its its full potential? No, because Elusive is busted. Uh, but Fearsome is, like, a, a poor man's Elusive, and we're already talking about, like, some Fearsome decks being pretty decent. Okay. Um, so the 3-drop is a 3-1 Fearsome. It's not bad. Um, so like, I think the ability to go ahead and, and be able to pressure a deck that isn't playing a lot of, especially like think about, um, although admittedly with one defense, you are opening yourself up to those things like vile feast, but think about like slower SI decks that don't play a lot of creatures, you know? Sure. Um, if you can slap down three of these bad boys, you know, barring a withering whale, you're getting a lot of damage into the face because they're not going to be able to block with their spiders. Um, again, don't think i don't think it's gonna bring heimerdinger back but no. i will say fearsome bots like now are, are back on the menu and you're gonna be able to replicate them pretty quick with flash of brilliance i'm glad flash of brilliance is back i never played it very much i don't enjoy heimerdinger decks that much i do um and i think i still am waiting for somebody to get creative with heimerdinger as a control uh champion as opposed to trying to play it as this like value generating mid-range card I still think Heimerdinger could be played in a control deck. Free T-Hex is pretty decent. Not bad, not bad. Next card is Overgrown Snapvine. It was a 7-mana 4-3 that read when you summon another follower, kill it, and summon an Overgrown Snapvine. So, of course, you know, flood the board with 4-3s. Um, they just made it 5-attack, so it's a 7-mana 5-3 right now. I think it's important to note that 5-attack does do a couple of things. One, it avoids, I think, Reckoning. It enables Reckoning. Um, it also enables cards like uh, the Trifurian, whatever Cessor. that lets you, yeah, Cessor that lets you draw. Yep. 
Um, so the move from four attack to five attack is really significant. That's that's a that's a big jump. Um, I think this was a meme before. I don't think moving it to five attack makes it not a meme, but I do think that you're going to see it over the next couple of days because people are going to experiment with it. Maybe it finds a little bit more of a place in Noxus now than what it did mm -hmm. before um, because Noxus does want to mess around with the five attack stuff. It could also find a little bit of place with a Frailjord deck that wants to, you know, you want to make sure you can play your snap fine on five so you're not playing anything with five or more attack and then you're playing the the four mana three three that draws something with five or more attack out of your deck you know maybe it, it finds a little bit of a room in there it's like an alternative and in, in maybe a bit of like a an indoor hmm. deck um you know because you can guarantee draw it out of your deck and then and then play it and flood the board with cheaper stuff to make a bunch of five threes um and also uh it now works with the plunder card in frail yord that gives everything with five or more attack overwhelm so if you have that on the board ahead of time and then you start dropping uh, overgrown snap vine stuff you keep five threes Ooh, with overwhelm now interesting yeah um i saw that on reddit today i don't ever go on reddit but i did for a couple minutes today um so you know i think there's a couple of new options here i don't think it makes this card good um i don't think it's like oh my gosh like oh the crazy um but it makes it makes sense that this got a little bit of an increase they want to see it get some play and i don't blame them it is a really we've talked about it before it's a really cool card we've we've even spotlighted it on a deck name game once so yeah you, you just gave me an idea for like a a ramping frail your deck but instead of ramping into like a soul or trundle you ramp into overgrown snapvine and then just flood the board with with cheap stuff blow it up and have a big snapvine board yeah you could definitely do that that'd be fun i would enjoy that um it's almost unfortunate that it's not an eight mana card because then it could trigger the behold thing oh that's true yeah i didn't think of that um but i did i did think of the assessor and i was like that would be neat to go with like the noxus and like you could because uh, you'd get the assessor down you draw and then return it to another snap find mm -hmm. the thing about snap find is once it's down and you get it and you can get a second snap find once you have two snap finds there's almost no way to deal with it um outside of uh ruination and reckoning. no way to get rid of it outside of like reckoning or ruination and it gets rid of the reckoning option now because they all have five or more attack unless you can drop all of their exactly attack or something. yeah which so i think is great i mean it, one of its I key think a weaknesses card like this uh, it is definitely still a meme but i think a more like you know once you get if you can get the meme out and going it doesn't just get hard countered as much it's also just a little bit more viable with the five attacks so that it can trade into stuff so yeah i think it's i think it's fine it's it's just fun so we can go to the next thing though sure crack shot corsair a one mana was a one mana one one when allies attack a deal one damage to the enemy nexus it's now a one mana one two um uh, instead of a one mana one one um i think that this is a big buff to this card um, and I really like this buff. I always thought the Crackshot Corsair was kind of cool and made a lot of sense in uh, in some different decks. You even see kind of like the uh, the Sejuani uh, Gangplank deck now running the 1-1 one, one Fearsome Elusive. And maybe this gets played instead of the 1-1 one, one Fearsome Elusive because this is... One of those things where you don't actually have to attack with it to get it to proc its thing, but oftentimes on turn one, you're going to be able to play this. The problem is, is that right now there is a turn one, two, two, a turn one, two, two, that could be a three, three and a turn one, three, three. Um, and so, you know, well, even that's, that's true. But keep in mind what like the most common one drop in the game for the entire existence of this game is a one, one. And that's a yeah. card called Omen Hawk. Sure. So. This it gets to Omenhawk eat now. the Omen Hawk and live. 
That is it, though. I mean, that Omen Hawk, uh, the Fleet Fetter Tracker, um, Scythria, um, of Jagged Butcher, and the uh, the Solari Soldier are the one drops in this sure. game that get played. And outside of it, it only eats one of those. It gets eaten by everything else. So um, it's buffed to health in its matchups. I don't know how big of a difference it is going to make, but I am mm -hmm. glad that they made a difference here. Uh, I think the art on it is cool, and I've always thought the card was cool, but it was just like people experimented with it, but it never ended up being like amazing or anything. Um, yeah. So I think people will experiment with it just maybe in the current meta, it's not going to see a big amount of just because it gets eaten by the same things it got eaten by as a one drop, a one man. Well, one, one. True. But as a one man, as a one man, a one, two, it doesn't get eaten by half as many spells. That's also true. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there are a couple of key spells that won't eat it now. That makes right. a big difference. And I think. Yeah. No, but I mean, you're right, though. Like, there's a lot. I'm looking at the, all the one drops and most of them that are played are played because they're overstated. Mm -hmm. Now, you've still got spiders you've still got omen hawk sure. and i think that like i would like to see one drops that have a really impactful ability oh spacey sketcher though is a one one and that's being played that's true um, but I, I i wouldn't mind seeing uh one one mana one ones with really good effects uh as opposed to playing you know you know putting one drops in the deck that are really uh overstated as the main thing about them or have elusive because really the the ones that get played are have either have fearsome elu fearsome or elusive uh mm -hmm. or they're overstated <laughs> yeah and the exceptions being the fleet feather tracker and omen hawk and but like you we see omen hawk has been a very impactful card admittedly it can be a little swingy if you just really top deck you know nuts yeah. but like I think I like having effects like that on a small one mana one one body. I think another great example of a one drop, although not a one one, is Pool Shark. I think Pool Shark is a really cool, really fun, oblivious islander. I think I'd like to see more. This is just a design thing. I think I'd like to see more one drops with like more like lasting implications, similar to Oblivious Islander and Pool Shark and Omen Hawk. Uh, I think those are just and Spacey Sketcher. Even I think even though yeah, a lot of people that, have issues that with that. Uh, I think that those are really, I just want to see more of those effects uh, that don't have to do with being overstated. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. So we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, Jagged Taskmaster is a, was a three mana, four, three that had plunder, um, grant one cost allies everywhere, plus one, plus zero. Now it is a two mana, three, two with the same exact ability. So basically dropped its power, dropped its health by one each, but also dropped its cost by one, um, which gives Bilgewater another pretty strong uh, two drop um, in maybe kind of like a one drop package type of deck. Um, even saw some people, you know, messing around with this along with, uh, you know, uh, the, the dragonling creator, um, because it would give your dragonlings plus one attack as well, making them three ones with lifesteal instead of two ones with lifesteal. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what it does anyway. Uh, so yeah. Jagged Taskmaster, I, I, I saw some people like sort of really excited about this. I've never played Dragon Tat. I've never played the card really. I, I never yeah. played it cause I haven't played one drop decks. DBN, you have played a few one-drop decks, so maybe you have more mm -hmm. of an opinion on it. Um, but I think that overall, like, this card happening sooner is just makes it a lot better, for sure. Oh, for, oh 100%. Playing a two-drop as opposed to a three-drop is massive because you want to get that buff online ASAP if you're playing a lot of one-drops. Um, and so 
if you get it on three, that's like one. I mean, yeah, no, it's just it's huge. It really is huge for one drop decks. Is it going to make one drop decks good? No, Probably I'm actually not. saying a firm no. Will it make one drop memes more enjoyable? Yes. Um, and I think that there's a couple things to keep in mind with this. Jagged Taskmaster will buff any one drops, you know, for the rest of the game. So let's think about what things are one drops. Obviously, you have some really good uh, elusive one drops. So you've got like Navori Blade something or other. You've got the Prowling Cutthroat. You've got Teemo. You've got the yep. elusive one drop uh, PNZ Daring uh, Poro. Yeah. Which brings us to the next piece, Poros. There's a lot of Poros. I mean, I I'm actually have started building a um, Braum kind of Poro list with Bilgewater and uh, and uh, Freljord because you've got the Lonely Poro, which creates another Poro. You've got the Poro Herd guy that, that draws I can never Poros. His name. The two yeah. drop that draws the Poro, and most of the Poros are uh, one drops. You know, you can play the uh, the Poro that uh, has plunder. You can play, you know, so the bottom line is like, that's a lot of one drops. Omen Hawk's a one drop too, if you want to put that in. Um, And because it's like, because it can kind of keep giving you those stats on the Poros, I've got to imagine like Heart of the Fluffed could be really, really dirty when you get that Overwhelm. And now all of a sudden, instead of it having, you know, you know, nine attack, you know, all of a sudden it's got another, you know, two or three attack on the Overwhelm because you've gotten you know, eight, three Poros, all of which had an extra attack, not to mention like what you got from Poros Snacks and whatever. Um, I have been playing it in a elusive focus build. And I will say, I don't think it's as good as the one that Static Sheep played against you, where you run the kind of deck buffing from Freljord, like through mm-hmm. shared uh, spoils and Omen Hawks and, uh, you know, those things, because I think that that like having the extra defense is the relevant bit and Jagged Taskmaster doesn't buff defense, but I did build the deck and it is kind of fun with like Poro Cannon uh, to sure. just get all those elusive guys. Uh, and obviously it does synergize with Professor Von Yip, but Professor Von Yip is kind of like if you play him on four, you're not playing more one drops. It, it's tough to find that balance, although I, I do find that in this deck I played pick a card the three mana burst spell where you should shuffle a card into your hand to draw three more. And I played it with like jinx as a way to kind of play like a jinx, you know, aggro list with a lot of like the daring poros and Teemo crack shot, Corsair prowling cutthroat. Uh, But you also have the pool sharks um, as a really great way to uh, keep those things, keep those uh, one drops flowing into your hand. Um, But the last thing is keep in mind, it's not just creatures that are in your deck. It's also creatures that you create, including powder monkeys. So you can create uh, powder monkeys from from monkey business and from the uh, monkey idol, which uh, can be really cool. And we've actually seen some experimentation with monkey idol. I've seen it like way more on the ladder than I ever have. And so monkey idol is a great card. It's a great card. Monkey idol is not bad. It's just like it's delayed value, but like people don't want to spend their removal on it. That feels bad. Um, and people don't want to attack into your you. monkeys that you're getting for free either. Exactly right. And so like between monkey idol and monkey business, now those monkeys are going to do a lot better when it comes to soaking up trades uh, and, you know, value trading into more things uh, before dying, triggering your level ups on Sejuani or Gangplank or whatever it is that you're trying to get damage from. Swain doesn't matter. Whatever you need to do face damage to the monkeys will get the job done and the jagged taskmaster will help you do that. And if you're running something like crack shot Corsair and prowling cutthroat, 
you're likely to be able to get that one damage in before you drop the Taskmaster. Sure. I think that these two are kind of like intended to be paired together uh, in terms of the buffs because they synergize nicely. I, I I don't think it's going to be good, but I think it's going to be really fun to see what people come up with. Sure. there's I mean, it just it opens up some new opportunities um, and earlier game plans, which is good. Uh, the card yeah. that needed it more than anything else, probably the maybe, maybe the most significant thing in this is Yertle Grifter. Yertle Grifter used to be create a warning shot in hand, and if you have Allegiance, nab one. So if the next card on the top of your deck was a Bilgewater card, you'd get to nab one, but you always got the warning shot. Now it is a four mana, four, three that reads allegiance, nab one and create a warning shot in hand. So in other words, if you miss the allegiance, you're not going to get that warning shot. Um, I think this was something that most people looked at and said it should have been like that maybe from the beginning. I mean, oftentimes you played Yertle Grifter because you didn't want to play warning shot in your deck and you were like, I don't even care if Yertle Grifter nabs one. That That's icing on the cake for me. I need it to give me my warning shot so that I can activate my Riptide Rex. Now it's saying, okay, you can't really branch out very... Before it was like, I'll play this. I don't have to worry about Allegiance. I can play any number of other things that I want. This is going to give me my warning shot. I just run this and Riptide Rex. And the Yertle Grifter and Riptide Rex were a, a legitimate combo in and of themselves that may have been worth playing Bilgewater in your deck if you only had those two cards. Um, now you can't do that. Yertle Grifter is going to need a, a large number, if not all Bilgewater cards to be able to pull it off. And I think that that is an important switch. Um, and uh, it's not an enormous nerf. I don't think it makes this card unplayable, but it just makes sense to me. I really like this change to Yertle Grifter. Yeah, 100% agreed. Yordle Grifter was not played for the Allegiance. It wasn't played for the Nab. It was played for the Warning Shot. People could put it in any deck. And now what we're seeing is like, it's basically saying you're going to have to work a little harder to trigger Riptide Rex if you want to play him outside of a mostly Bilgewater deck. Um, and Yordle Grifter can't just be splashed in alongside, you know, 30 other Frailure cards or 30 other Noxus cards. You, you, you know, Rex was being used as the top end of too many competitive top tier lists across multiple factions. It, it needed to be reined in. Um, and this was a great way to do it. It's exactly what Silverfuse uh, suggested, by the way, a couple weeks ago. Um, I will say, like, I do think Rex is still going to be played a lot. I think, uh, but it, it's just going to bring the power level of the Rex uh, lists down or rather reduce the total number of lists that are out there and kind of homogenize them, which will make it a lot easier to tech against because you have to run a lot more uh, Allegiance or a lot more Bilgewater to uh, get Rex as consistently to go off on eight. Um, you're either going to be running Rex and having a harder time triggering him, or you're going to be playing a deck that is a lot more standard and people will know what's in it. They know you're not going to have too many crazy other, you know, non-Bilgewater faction cards. And I think it's going to streamline all of those, all of those decks such that you'll have variants on the same thing. And that's going to make sure. it easier for the metagame, easier to counter, easier for things to pop up that can deal with it. Because let's be honest, how many different decks would could you get Rexed in? You know, <laughs> and where like the game plan is just completely different. The types of cards, the synergies are in there are completely different. And yet you're still getting Rexed on turn eight, nine, 10, whatever. Um, and so I think this is great. I think Rex is still going to be very strong. There's still going to be a good Rex deck in the top tier. So don't expect that to change. But uh, overall, this is a good step. 
Yeah, agreed. Agreed, agreed. Definitely. The last card that got adjusted was Cygnus the Moonstalker. He was a six mana five three that or he was a six mana four two that read Nightfall give me and an ally elusive this round. You saw him getting played around with a little bit. He's gonna get more now because he's now a six mana five three instead of a six mana four two. Which, if you play him with Nightfall, give him and an ally both elusive this round. This card is stronger than I thought it was going to be. At first glance, I thought that this card was going to be pretty garbage. Um, but at a 4-2, it was stronger than I thought it was going to be. And honestly, he's super cool. He's like a moon ninja. So he's definitely a card that I am excited to get into a deck and play around with. Um, and it definitely makes sense that he's found his place in sort of the top end of that uh, Shadow Isles and Diana sort of aggressive Diana Nocturne list. Um, and I think that's kind of where his home is. It's just kind of like the a way to push damage. He's almost reach, right? Like he's oftentimes oh, yeah. probably like eight to not eight to ten points of reach at that point in the game. Um, and mm -hmm. that's really what he gives. He gives this really cool way, because it's like you're not playing elusives exclusively, right? But you're also not playing burn from hand. Like this isn't two or three decimates. This is a way to combo to get reach without having elusive built into your deck. I think this is a creative and a cool way to make elusive. I, I like the way they use elusive in this rather. I wish there was more things that gave elusive for a turn than had elusive period. And I think that yes. this was a really cool and creative way to use elusive. And I'm glad that they're showing it a little bit of love because they want to see it get more play. Don't think it's going to be oppressive at six mana still, but it definitely died. It doesn't die to a lot of stuff that it did die to before. So that's good. You know, a lot yeah, better no, chance of getting your five damage through. 100%. Uh, I think Cygnus is a great card. Uh, you know, it, it, the thing is like, so for example, um, I played, uh, I played the list that Static Sheet played against you um, that had both this and Rex. And it was kind of, and again, uh, it ran Rex, uh, just splashed into a mostly Targon list. Okay. Uh, and it ran two of these and two Rexes. Uh, and over time, I actually ended up dividing the list, one with Cygnus and one with Rex. And so in the Rex one, I would run like Yordle Grifters and even two Warning Shots um, as ways to kind of, make sure rex was a lot easier to trigger um and then on the flip side i ran the other build which said okay i want to kind of end the game a little bit earlier i don't want to rely on rex on eight i want to try to win on six or seven when sickness comes down and pushes that last little bit of lethal with elusive use this as reach direct i'm gonna avoid the, I'm, I'm gonna hang on and then avoid their board state to push the damage um and i think obviously with the change to grifter that kind of voids the Rex build. But I actually was getting a, a little bit more success with this one. I, I think there is benefit to how it gives you, uh, gives Cygnus and a different card elusive because of the fact that they get, they have to deal with two things at once um, if they don't want to take that bit of damage. And then, of course, whatever comes down, you can still play spells on them if you have spell mana left over. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can play, oh, they're about to you know, kill this thing. Well, let me pale cascade it. Uh, sure. Let me sun blessed vigor it, you know? Um, and so I think that there is a lot to love about this card. I think it's still going to be, see only niche play because of its three defense. Um, and I don't think it'll ever see, obviously 
it's really not an, a, a card that goes in elusive decks because if everything already has elusive, what's the point? Sure. You this know? is reach. This is a combo reach close. This yeah. is a closer. It's a closer. It's a, it's a, closer. a, it's a game closer. Mm-hmm. It's a board centric closer for an aggressive deck. Yeah. It, and or it could at be least a, combo. a very, or, or at least a, a mid range list that has been putting damage throughout the game. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think this is a, a change in the right direction. May, maybe it won't be enough, but I think at least right now, especially that one extra attack and the one extra health, they're both very, very important. One extra attack makes it feel like it's actually doing more itself. And then it'll, so less of a combo, more self-reliant. And then the extra health, of course, means it doesn't get mystic shotted. So that's pretty, or avalanched. So that's pretty good. Yeah, on both of those things. Well, that's all the card changes. If this was Hearthstone, we would spend most of the episode talking about the clear indication that we're going to be getting some sort of a tournament mode and the experimentation they're doing with a multi-deck pick ban um, scenario that's coming out in the gauntlet. So look forward to that in the gauntlet. Cross shard play is now out. So you can play with people on the EU server as well, which is really exciting. It's clearly setting things up for a tournament setting and they haven't released spectator mode, but I expect that to be coming out in us to be hearing about that in a pretty short amount of time because it's pretty clear that they're heading in a direction where they're testing things out. I love that Riot has continued to live up to their claims as they said they were going to use the gauntlet in the labs as a way to experiment and test out new ideas. They're continuing to do that. It's pretty clear that we don't have the polished version of what those things are yet. And hopefully when we do get the polished version, we get rewards with it because that's the big drawback for me with labs and gauntlets. No point in me doing it because there's no rewards for me to gain yet. But I might try the uh, the three deck pick bands thing um, a little bit because I think that will be fun to play a slightly more competitive thing. Uh, I think that's kind of cool. Um, that was all the patch notes, but we do have a champion spotlight. Each act of heresy is an act of passion. Okay, guys, this week we're going to do probably a relatively quick champion spotlight on the champion Diana. Diana is the uh, is the is one of the Targon champions. I'm going to go over really quick what she is before and after level up. Diana is originally a 2-mana two 2-2 two with Quick Attack that has Nightfall, Give Me, Challenger. And as you might imagine, Challenger and Quick Attack are a very good combo together. Once you have completed... Nightfall four different times, not attacked, but actually activated Nightfall four different times, she levels up into a two mana three three with quick attack. Then Nightfall, or anytime you activate any other Nightfall, she gets Challenger in plus two plus zero. So you're able to activate a couple of Nightfalls in a turn with the leveled up Diana. You're looking at maybe a seven three with Challenger and quick attack. Pretty dang good. And of course, the champion spell that's linked to her is maybe one of the best spells in the target expansion so far, which is Diana's Pale Cascade, a burst two mana spell that gives an ally plus two plus zero this round. And if you have Nightfall, it allows you to also draw a card. Reminder, Nightfall is always active once you've played a card already this round. So as long as you play a card before you play Diana or Pale Cascade, um, you will have Nightfall activated. So that's Diana. We've both been playing slightly different lists of her DBN. How have you been messing around with Diana since the expansion came out? And what's your overall thought on her now that you've played with her some? Well, so Diana is one that I think the, mo- I, the most popular list seems to be the Nocturne one, and I haven't played it. And more than that, I have never, I'm serious, I, it's never been queued against me. I have not played against it once wow okay i it seems unlikely and improbable but it's true but it's true so i've never i've never seen that deck in action 
once. Um, although darn it, if it doesn't look fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Um, that's that. That said, I think the most important thing is what you kind of said there, which is that duplicates give you pale cascade. That's very important. Nu- the nuts, because the what's crazy about that is that the pale cascade not only supports Diana going and challenging it, like directly buffs the card, you know, that it's, it's what Diana wants to get buffed and go in and, you know, with a nightfall and go and challenge more things. It also contributes to the level up. Um, yep. So like, this is the most synergy I think any champion has with the with champion spell. like spell. So, I mean, that in and of itself, I mean, you know, you can effectively run five copies of pale cascade in a deck uh, with this. And so I, I absolutely think that that's, that's one of the biggest strengths um, because again, I, we all know pale cascade is really strong. It's the draw. It's the, it's drawing. It's drawing a card is always good. It's drawing and on. then it's drawing doing other things. Cool. Yeah. Dra- you know, it's a drawing, drawing cards is great. You heard it here first. Um, but I will say, I think that there's the best part of Diana in my mind it is very similar to what I said about Leona week one. It has a package and you can take that package and lift it out of pretty much, you know, any deck and plop it into another deck. And it's somewhat viable. Now, obviously there's going to be stronger ones than others. Obviously Diana doesn't go with, you know, a a control list necessarily. Um, Although it could, if you want to view Diana as a way to control the early game board state because she has quick attack and can get challenger. And one of the cards can invoke a really powerful later game card. If, if you're lucky, you know, kind of toolboxes. Um, so the point being, um, just like daybreak where you've got these cards that, yeah, they can be aggressive, but they can be mid range. And maybe in certain situations, they can control the early game for a control package that can take up the other half of the deck, you know, night and day. Diana does the same thing. Sure. Um, And I think if anything, it it goes great in aggro with lots of different versions of aggro. Uh, and so like, you know, you can, or, or even just like a, a you know, faster mid range deck. That's what I've been playing it in is the Bilgewater list with twisted fate. And I got to tell you, being able to have all of these extra copies of, um, pale cascade of the pale cascade are great for getting twisted fate leveled up. They can also often they'll draw me pocket aces. Remember that card? Well, pocket aces yet another buff. This one time, this one sticks around. You know, and then because you've got the Nightfall uh, Lunari Shade Stalker to grant itself elusive, a that can push damage, that can trigger plunders, that can also uh, become an elusive to block other elusives. So, in one way, it can push damage; in another way, it can defend against a certain playstyle that a lot of decks actually don't have access to. You know, creatures that can block elusive, um, and so like I just think that. You you don't really need to run Cygnus in most of those you know decks, but you could just run like Lunari Priestess, Lunari Shade Stalker, Pale Cascade, Diana. And if you really want to put Crescent Guardians in, you could, but that that maybe doesn't port quite as well. So it's not as large of a package as the Daybreak package, but because Diana's duplicates uh, will help trigger Diana mm-hmm. and get Diana leveled up through the Nightfall, and because you're pouring through the deck faster with Pale Cascade and probably Guiding Touch just for funsies, um, you're likely to find enough Nightfall to feasibly get her leveled, but the cards in and of themselves are great, 
and in fact, daybreak or nightfall, excuse me, uh, I find to be actually a little bit easier to work with than daybreak. There's a lot of times with daybreak, I sit there and I'm like, I don't want to play this card first, but if I don't, it's it's dead. <laughs> and so it, in many ways, nightfall is so much more flexible from that perspective. So I look at Diana and I don't look at the card itself. I look at the package that it's intended to be built with because just like Leona, I don't think you can play it without that package surrounding it. There's a lot of champs, especially if we look at the design of the Bilgewater champs, a lot of the Bilgewater champs seem to be pretty proficient on their own. And that's just, that's not what we have here. Uh, I think, in Targon, none of the Targon champs really do great without their the packages they're built around. Um, but that does mean that it kind of has this core group of cards that you can slot in to all these different ways of playing. And I think that that in and of itself, the flexibility is what I love about Diana. The card itself, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So, you know, I I have not played a lot of Diana. Like, I, I just haven't. I meant to play her a little bit more this week and just didn't have the opportunity to do it. Um, and so here here's my experience with Diana, right? Diana is she's interesting, right? Because she's not ultra aggressive in and of herself, but what she does do is help you to secure a board pretty early, right? Like she, the challenger quick quick attack, right? Gives you the ability to sort of solidify that board early on and begin to snowball that board. And she really does take care of a lot of early game stuff that other factions want to put on the board, which is really, really cool as well. And and just, I don't know, I, I, I really like Diana. But I think she's more versatile than perhaps I, I think that the cool thing about Diana is that she has the opportunity to be more versatile depending on the nightfall cards that are printed right now. Mm -hmm. She lends herself to an aggressive strategy. If we see more cards in the future that maybe are early to mid range cards that aren't necessarily geared just entirely um to to be aggressive um we may we definitely may see um i don't know we, we may see some new opportunities for diana to be more of like an early game card that takes and secures the board um that way you know your your opponent doesn't get the best of you early in the game not because you're trying to win the game early but because you're trying to prevent your opponent from winning the game early I, does that make sense no, no, that is exactly how I think it's intended. I mean, the challenger part um, is literally there so you can take their, let's say, Cythria or whatever and make it so that that Demacia list doesn't get to snowball that early board state, at least not as hard. Um, the key there is that obviously once Diana's leveled up, then that then it's, it's great because any Nightfall will give her the challenger. Sure. But even the quick attack, I think is quite relevant because uh, sure. especially when you have buffs in hand to go with it. I mean, as we all know, quick attack is really strong keyword and it forces them to either take that damage to the face, which you're probably okay with or block it and lose the creature without retribution. And it just, it allows you to kind of hold on and really hit that mid game in stride. That's why I really love having that to play on two alongside, you know, um, I've actually, this build runs messenger signals or sigils messenger sigils mm -hmm. which puts the uh the doggos that draw a card in there and that's intended really to get twisted fate going um but it's a nice little pairing there you also can run it with uh the dusk pedal uh yeah, lunari yeah, dusk bringer uh -huh. and yep. the, and you know there's plenty of things you can pair with it uh especially those one mana spells uh and then you hit your stride with uh either like a crescent guardian or something like that or a lunari shade stalker on three 
And then in this deck that I play, you can just slam a Twisted Fate, and all of a sudden, between the Challenger and TF, you probably have a really good board state, uh, or at least a comparable one. You know, and if you're against if you're against aggro, um, at this point, you've slowed them down enough. A lot of times, you're winning the game. I mean, that's just sure. reality. So uh, to summarize my thought on Diana is I'm going to play some more of her because I, I want to explore some stuff with her, but I'm most excited for Diana in the next couple of sets of cards, right? I want to see what other Nightfall cards we're going to get. I think we're pretty clearly going to get a few more. I'm excited to see what else we're going to get and what other opportunities that might open up for Diana. So mm -hmm. Diana isn't my favorite champion today, Although I think she's strong. I, and I, I said from the beginning that I thought Diana and Pale Cascade, I thought Pale Cascade was one of the strongest cards in the set. That was one of the predictions I was correct on. Um, and I did say that I thought Diana was strong. I think that she's one of the only Targon style decks that has found its place into a top tier competitive meta right now. But, mm -hmm. but I think that Diana is more versatile than that. And that is what I'm most excited for is to see how versatile she is. And I really want her emote. Um, that's the other thing. <laughs> that that's the other thing about Diana. I really want to look at that one. I don't know if I remember which one. She's that like is. she's like mopping sweat off of her head. I think oh, that it, phew. Yes, yeah, no, that is a really good. a really cool. That's emote. a really good emote. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the ones that I want. So that's my thoughts on Diana. And uh, next week we're going to wrap up our Targon Champion spotlights by taking a look at Leona next week, which I'm excited about. Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about her a little bit when the set first dropped, and we kind of decided we needed to, we wanted to see Take where it settled, and and let our let our thoughts kind of coalesce over, you know, at least a at least a week, because at that time we played it like a day, yeah. So we're like, a, yes, you know, probably not a great idea to to get a one day reaction to it, but. Okay. Next week. Well, we've been going for a while now. Let's work our way out of here, and I'm going to go ahead and give our closing thoughts for the night. And I thought I was already perfect. So, guys, closing thoughts are our goal in my heart that you, if you listen to the show and you get to the end of it, that you don't just become a more competent Legends of Runeterra player. And you're not just entertained, but there's also something that you can add and become a better human being. You're better at life. And uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the pillars of healthy relationships. This week, a closing thought is on the third pillar of healthy relationships, and that one is self-control. Self-control is the most powerful thing that any one of us have. It doesn't matter what someone else does to us. Our choice is how we are going to react to that and what we're going to do with that information. In every relationship, the most powerful person is the person who's capable of having the most self-control. And I love the warning that this book uh, that I've been quoting from gives us. It says this, we must learn how to manage our freedom. When we find ourselves with more freedom than self-control, then that freedom erodes the quality of our life and our friendships self-control is what allows us to manage levels of freedom in our life and relationships i love this concept of the difference between and the contrasting elements of freedom and self-control in our world 
There are so many people, especially in my culture here in the United States, that have a tremendous amount of freedom, but have almost zero self-control. And the reality is, is that when we have little self-control, but tremendous freedom, it erodes away at who we are as people. And then it also erodes away at our relationships, specifically our friendships. I think of this in terms of somebody who becomes unfaithful to their spouse, right? They have all the freedom to be able to do so. The freedom in the relationship where the, the, the spouse trusts that person, but they erode and destroy that relationship because they don't have enough self-control to be able to contain or uh, use that freedom in a positive way. So if you can learn how to be self-controlled, um, it, it, to do what you say you're going to do, um, to, to be able to make wise and, and helpful decisions amongst your relationships. It gives you all of the power in a relationship. Someone who is self-controlled is capable of following through with what they said they're going to do and incapable of continuing to love and honor people. Even when those people do things that are not worthy of love and honor, because ultimately giving love and honor is something that we make a choice to do. It's not something that someone enables us to do, and it's not something anyone can ever stop us from doing. We can always give love and honor. It's our choice to take it away, and it's our self-control that enables us to offer that to people who may have hurt us in the past. So that's my closing thought. Work on self-control. I think it's probably one of the virtues um, that is lost in our culture and in our world that needs desperately, desperately needs to be reclaimed. I can't think, I can think of so many people that would be so much better off if they were able to exercise self-control at a keyboard. Can you imagine if every yeah. person at a keyboard had self-control, what a difference the world would, <laughs> the online oh, yeah. world would be completely different. Uh, yeah, oh, man, Twitter wouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> no reason to go there anymore. <laughs> That's right. I will say, I think there's a, I really love that concept of like limiting your own freedom. And mm. I think that that's like, I think it's a really interesting concept. And, and I think it's cool to like narrow that down to like, it's not necessarily stopping your potential to do something that you want, but rather it's limiting the amount of resources and, um, you know, and time that you can frivolously, frivolously waste. I find that like, I am my best self, and this is something that took me a long time to learn. When I keep myself busy, even though I'm an introvert, you know, sure, um, it's just such a tough thing when you have all this freedom, you have all this time that you can just sit at home and do what with it. It doesn't necessarily matter if I'm doing something fun, but I do find that like you know everything spirals. I don't spend the time advancing myself as a human. I don't spend the time you know going out and making lasting friendships. I don't find myself going out and going to the gym and getting a workout and keeping my body healthy. I don't find myself uh, you know eating you know the foods I should eat or eat. I find myself sitting at home. I mean the number one thing for weight loss is don't sit at home as so much. You know, because you tend to overeat when you're bored. Yeah. And so it's, it kind of comes down to I, my quality of life. And this is just a personal thing has improved drastically since I learned that I need to keep myself busy, especially during the week after work. I try to do something every evening after work if I can. And the days that I feel like the crummiest and I end up usually like slipping when it comes to like my diet. Uh, or, or my workout routine are the days when I don't have anything going on. And so in many ways, that's me limiting my freedom. I'm limiting the resources I have to waste, whether mm -hmm. that be in terms of physical resources or in time. Um, so that's just a personal thing. Maybe hopefully someone it might help. But. Sure.
Yeah, I'll give one personal example and then we'll, we'll get out of here because you gave a personal example. I'll, I'll give one too. So I don't keep Discord on my phone because I know that I don't have the self. It, the, there's freedom in keeping Discord on my phone because I can get, stay connected with the community at any time. I don't have to come down to the basement to be able to get on Discord and see what's going on. But the reality is, is I know I don't have the self-control to limit Discord or have self-control mm -hmm. to stay off of Discord and not check it throughout the day whenever I'm with my family. And I know that my daughters at this stage in their life, it's desperate, it's so important for them to consistently have my undivided attention whenever I'm with them because I'm in school full-time, because I work full-time, because I podcast, because I'm doing a lot of other things. Um, I need those moments that I have with my girls to really be spent with my girls. And if I'm looking at my phone at Discord, they notice that. And so I don't have the self-control, so I have to limit my freedom by preventing Discord from being on my phone. It's little things. It's so little. But the quality of the relationships with my daughters vastly improves. And the quality then with the relationship with my wife also vastly improves because she sees me consistently engaging with my girls, right? And so because it's because I've limited the freedom that I have because I know that I don't have the self-control to be able to handle it. And I think knowing yeah. your own limitations in that is, is a good thing. Um, so you're and, right. And I love that limiting freedom man that's so good yeah and just not and in that way you're kind of not putting yourself you have to know yourself a little bit there has to be some self-analysis but but not putting yourself in a situation you know that that would that if you know that your 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 self-control is vulnerable to to one form or another you don't put yourself in those positions that comes with a little bit of forethought a little bit of planning but you know that's what limiting that freedom is you're not putting yourself in the position to waste time resources you know, whatever you want to put yourself in the position to make the most of those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's get out of here. That was our closing thought for tonight. Um, so uh, let, let's work out of here, guys. Uh, if you want to find us, um, you can go over to twitch.tv slash the lift. In fact, if you haven't followed me yet and you do want to catch me streaming, I would encourage you to do that. It looks like in October, I'm actually going to begin doing some streaming. That's something I'd been talking about uh, kind of elusively the last couple of weeks, but um, it looks like I'm going to begin streaming in the mornings EST, probably somewhere around eight to 11 o'clock in the morning, maybe uh, two to three hours a couple days a week um so if you want to come hang out with me go over to twitch.tv slash the lift hit follow there and uh and you can check out what's going on there's a chance that i'm going to do some youtube streaming as well i'm not real sure i'm not 100 but it will likely be uh just chatting and hanging out and then also legends of runeterra so uh be sure to check that out dbn if people want to find these sick new youtube videos you're going to be putting out how do they do that yeah, so uh, that's going to be on YouTube, Dead Broke Nerd. Pretty simple. That's my name. Um, you can also follow me, twitch.tv slash deadbrokenerd. I've started streaming about, you know, once or twice a week. Um, in fact, I might stream tomorrow if I can get the YouTube video done quick enough. So um, I might, yeah, there's actually, it's actually been really cool. I, the last couple of times I've streamed, I have really enjoyed it. So just nice to, it's kind of, it was one thing when that was like, it wasn't my job, but it was definitely something I felt I had to do because I was like partly making money off of doing like casting and, uh, you know, sure. making a little bit here and there on Twitch. And it just definitely when it was my job, it was just such a different perspective. But knowing that, like, yeah, I don't have to stream for four hours minimum, like just having that in the back of my head weirdly i wanted to stream longer is that bizarre it's really it's it's gosh i tell you it was nice so anyways i might be streaming uh i might not we'll see but twitch.tv slash jedbrook nerd is the place 
to find me in case I am streaming. And usually I'll post in the Discord before I start anyway. So if you're in there, you might just see that. But um, yeah, YouTube, more stuff coming this week. Awesome, awesome. You can also find that stuff in the notes or in the show description if you want to follow it there. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. We really appreciate. Once again, thank you to all of our patrons. You guys are amazing. If you want to support the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. If you have feedback from about the show, please don't hesitate to reach out and message me. We got some valuable feedback uh, this week actually over Reddit, and I'm going to be doing a couple of changes, something that we'd been meaning to do already, um, but that we're going to do in the next couple of weeks with our intro and outro instead of just having thrown it together in like five minutes nine months ago we're going to do some new stuff um but if you ever have feedback don't hesitate to message me on discord i'm pretty easy to talk to and always appreciate good feedback and that's going to do it for this episode thank you so much for tuning in and be sure to come back again next week thanks for listening to legends cast this episode was made possible by listeners like you if you want to become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com legendscast or leave a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts.